Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I went into the hospital and I, I, I saw kind of kids that was lying in, in, in the bed, you know, where I, where I once was. And I left there and I just felt like, God, maybe there is more to all this. And, and actually, maybe I'm in a position that I can give back. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this episode with Jamie McDonald, or as he's often referred to, Adventure Man. Jamie is an author, speaker, fundraiser, challenge adventurer extraordinaire, and is also the founder of the Superhero Foundation. As a child, Jamie battled with a series of illnesses and spent a lot of time in hospital. He's gone on to run across Canada, holds the world record for the longest time spent continuously on a treadmill, amongst many other feats. He also carries out all of these challenges in a custom superhero outfit. This is a tale of battling against tricky circumstances to create something of yourself that seems impossible, as well as the story of a man who is as selfless as he is funny, which is very. We talk about a wide variety of topics in this episode, from Jamie's childhood illnesses and the belief that he could undertake these Herculean journeys, through to fatherhood and the realities of combining a life of adventure and parenting. Before we begin, I'd like to mention that we're on Patreon. So if you're a regular listener to the podcast and would like to access extra content, including InVision interviews and monthly sit-downs with me and a guest, then you can find us on Patreon at The Adventure Podcast. I'd also like to talk to you about Sidetrack Magazine, our sister publication. Sidetrack is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. You can find out more at sidetracked.com. I'd also like to take a quick moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. They're a wonderful organisation working to get young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into the outdoors. You can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They're a big help and it really does help us bring the podcast to a wider audience. Okay, over to Jamie McDonald. Cool. So, please, could you just introduce yourself? Tell me who you are and what you do, whatever that means to you. Yeah, so my name's Jamie McDonald. Some people call me Adventure Man. Uh, I wear a superhero suit uh, going across countries and raising money for uh, charity. Uh, I would like to tell you what my mates call me, uh, but I'll probably have to refrain from that one. (laughs) Amazing. And how do you go from being a young child, however you were, whoever you were, to wearing a superhero suit running across countries? Yeah, God, yeah. Um, so I guess weirdly, uh, where do I start with that? The cape. The cape's a bit of a mad one. So I was basically in I was in Batman in Turkey. I don't know if you know, but there's a city called Batman. No. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really exists. It's a big old city. And my my cousin uh, at the time flew out to surprise me. And I was I was just finishing an adventure uh, cycling from 14,000 miles from Bangkok, Thailand, back to Gloucester, back to the, the hospital. And uh, my, my best mate basically turned up with a Batman and Robin outfit with him in the city of Batman. <laughs> and luckily, he gave me the the batman suit and he had the robin and he was so much taller than me and i was short so we we really did look like only fools and horses um and uh, and so that's kind of where the superhero theme just fun really right just we were just having a bit of crack um but then you you know i guess more meaningful when, when i the mission on that journey was to finish at gloucester children's hospital and 
So I, I spent most of my life in hospital as a kid um, with a rare spinal condition uh, called Schwingermyelia. So uh, I had weird symptoms like uh, epileptic fits and immune deficiency. So I was really sick. Uh, and when I was about seven years old, the kind of doctor explained that I would probably end up in a wheelchair or even worse. And and my mum was there and we left, we left the hospital uh, one day and, and she just said, don't you dare listen to a word of that. You're not going to end up in a wheelchair. And when we got home, she put this piece of string in the back garden and she said, come on, let's play tennis. Do you want to play? I was like, not really, mum. Um, but I went out there and I started cracking the ball and I just got this love for movement. And within the space of a year, I got a lot of help from the doctors and nurses in Gloucester and also Great Ormond Street. And within a year, all my symptoms just gradually faded and disappeared. So, yeah, I just got really lucky because I, I really should have ended up in a, in a wheelchair or even worse. That's really interesting. And I mean, I'm not a scientist. And I'm I, if you are, I didn't see that on Google. But what do you think the cause of the symptom disappearing was? Oh, good question. You know, there's a lot of families in, in the UK with Shringamalia and across the world. So if I was to give the secret answer, I think all the families would jump on it because they're all searching for it. Uh, I guess, interestingly, I've met some um, amazing people, not scientists, but very good at the neurological kind of brain, if you like. And they, they always found it interesting that out of all the sports that I ended up choosing, it was tennis. And it's a very neurological kind of coordination thing. And, and with Shringomyelia, it, it affects your spinal cord and it affects the your entire kind of system, really. So so tennis could have been something whereby it, it, it started to correct itself, the coordination and connecting the brain up. And, and um, it could have been from drugs from the hospital and the doctors. Uh, it could have been just me, you know, just getting lucky. Right? I, who knows? It's one of those. But but I'm very grateful, I think. No matter what it was, you know, I'm very, very grateful. And that's, you said, you were seven when that happened or was this older when the tennis came in? About, about, not, yeah, about nine years old. So I started to play around seven and a little bit. And then when I got to like nine, I started playing or eight. I started to play a lot more. And And then, you know, I was like a dog. You know, when you throw a ball for a dog, you know, I've just, I've just got to go. I've got to go. And, and, and I was, you just couldn't stop me then. And what, what did that whole process do to you? I mean, obviously you're a child. It's very different having this conversation with somebody who has a life-changing, you know, moment as an adult. But what happened to you, do you think, um, in terms of your personality, mentality? Mm, good question. I would say uh, that experience, it, it either kind of makes you or breaks you. And, and I think I was lucky that I came out the other side, but I, I seem to be able to suffer a hell of a lot of pain, like more than anyone, anyone in the world, right? I can, I can suffer. And I find this like place of it's like tranquils, like I know, I know this space, right? And I think I suffered so much as a kid. So, so it, it's really helped me in a way as I've got older. Um, and that's physical and somewhat emotional pain. Um, so, so yeah, but since, uh, since a few years ago, I actually, I went and got um, therapy. First time in my life, right? I just I just found it difficult. My parents ended up splitting up as an adult and I found it really difficult. And so then I I just said to my mate, like, what am I gonna do? I'm just it's really it's really bothering me. It feels like I've like I've got there's like a tree trunk and it's been axed and the half 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 of it's been axed. So he said, Look, just call this guy. <laughs> I didn't even know who he was, what he was, so I just called him. I said, Right, you know, come and come and meet me. So I went and met him in this little hut. Didn't even know I didn't even know it was therapy, right? So I just go and see this guy. I get chatting and and uh, and he knew exactly uh, you know my story being sick as a kid uh, and so he said do you want to talk about that and I said no no I had a great time in hospital I want to talk about my parents right that's the thing that's affecting me right now and uh, anyway it got to like the third session 
And this guy is like, by the way, he's like deep psychotherapy, right? So <laughs> he probed again and he said, do you feel abandoned? And you know, like a meerkat, right? You know, like, yeah, mm, what, what did you just say? And, and, it, and um, I said, why did you ask that question? He said, I'm just asking the question. And anyway, that night, the weirdest thing happened is that I went to bed and I started visualizing myself back in hospital. Come the morning, I was on my own. Uh, my partner Anna left, and I was making a cup of coffee, and the visualization came back again, and it was myself um, back in hospital. But this time, I, I hit the deck on the floor, um, curled up into the fetal position, and then cried my eyes out for about two hours. It was the most weirdest cathartic thing I've ever done. And the whole time, I was just telling my child baby self, you're all right. You don't need to worry anymore. And um, so, of course, I went, I went back um, to, uh, to, to this guy. Do you know what his name is, by the way? Dr. Sex. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so... So off I go. So I go. I go. So what? So I said, what just happened? And he said, I'd like to welcome you to childhood trauma. I said, right, okay. And then we went on this journey. And, and basically, the the time in hospital, you know, I, I had needles in all sorts, right? But but the thing that really affected me weirdly, which I had no idea, is that my parents kept leaving me for for sometimes days at a time. So that's what created the abandonment and the lack of self-worth. And um, so this kind of wound, if you like, is a big old wound. Um, it's become my superhero power in, in so many ways. Um, uh, but it's only become a superhero power now over time because I've, I've made it a power. It could, have, it could have done something completely different and I could have, you know, gone down the road of drink and drugs quite easily. You know, that's what happens when you've got quite quite you know big emotional trauma so so I, I i fell onto the right side but i've had to you know i had to work bloody hard you know and 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 make conscious efforts to to feel like i'm doing the right thing it's i mean amazing and thanks for telling this story so honestly and candidly i think you know it's very healthy for men to be talking about therapy and mental health difficulties and stuff like that and i think we have a bit on this podcast before but I might never have phrased it like this, but I'll just tell you the truth because you did. But I went to a therapist in, well, it's probably 27. I thought yeah. I had, I thought I had like bipolar disorder or something like that. Um, somebody said you might have like sociopathic tendencies, which was helpful. Um, and I sat down with this guy and I, you know, talked for two hours and he sort of really analyzed and getting it all in. At the end, I say, so am I a psychopath? And he just like leans forward in his chair and he goes, no, Matthew, you're not a psychopath. You just have absolutely no idea who you are. And I just, boom, you know, the tears come, the tears fall. And anyway, long story short, I then had nine months of pretty intense therapy wow. that didn't just help me and repair me, but then built me into something I'd never been before. Um, and I still use it all the time now all those tools and tricks and I think I have a pretty clear idea of who I am and it's yeah. this you know the reason I'm saying it is it's this like taboo subject still particularly amongst men to talk about struggles mental health needing help seeking help and it sounds like for both of us it's been like a defining turning point yeah 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 absolutely yeah yeah and you know you can you can get the the knowing yourself from big adventures and challenges but you know, if you've got if you've got a man that's sitting on the other side of you asking the right questions, you, you know that can that can kind of get to the knowing yourself a lot faster. <laughs> yeah, and what you said, I mean, it's that those amazing moments where, like you said, um, do you feel abandoned or however you phrased it? Um, and you're like, it's a weird question. It's one odd thing to ask. It's like, well, actually, no, they're geniuses. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're, they they kind of find these little rabbit holes and then they start they like poking at it and keep digging. And yeah, and at the time, I, I didn't, I had no idea what he was doing, you know. And, and yeah. now you're so right. You you come out the other side going, they are good. Yeah, I always think about it. I always imagine, because I ended up um, seeing this lady a lot and she, I always imagined they're like a chess master because I think I was being really clever and I was like, yeah, I've got this. I know where we're going with this. And she's like, she's 12 moves ahead. I'm thinking one or two moves ahead, but she she knows where we're going six sessions from now. 
um, she's just building the foundations to get me to session six. But <laughs> anyway, before we spend an hour talking about therapy, um, I think it would probably be useful to get some context because you mentioned, you know, you're, you have a fairly unique tolerance for suffering and pain. Um, and I would say I probably agree with your sentiment and statement. You know, I've everybody I've interviewed and reading what you've done, it seems yours is pretty extreme. So could you give us the examples of what it is you've done over the course of your adventure man career? Yeah, I guess to give you a kind of a quick synopsis is uh, when I was when I was 23, I, I saved up, I saved up 20,000 pounds and went to buy a house and everyone around me was buying a house. You know, all my mates, family, it's just like, well, well I've got to buy a house. I've got 20 grand. What else am I going to do with it? And right at the last minute, I just had this gut feeling. I just thought, God, is this it? Like, is this is this where I'm going? And in the end, I kind of took a step back and I said, I'm really sorry. I, I don't think I can do it. And the house people were really annoyed at me. And and then I just took some time out and, and then ended up kind of reflecting, going, where's this all going? And with a feeling, again, just a feeling, I went back to Gloucester Children's Hospital and I think that was like the start of my search of trying to connect with, you know, where I've come from. And I went into the hospital and I, I, I saw kind of kids that was lying in, in, in the bed, you know, where I where I once was. And I left there and I just felt like, God, maybe there is more to all this and, and actually maybe I'm in a position that I can give back. So instead of buying the house, I bought a bicycle for 50 quid out of the newspaper. It's one of the worst bikes ever. I mean, it was terrible. It was so bad. And then I, I flew out to Bangkok, Thailand, and then I, you know, I attempted a one-year cycle trip, 14,000 miles uh, back to the hospital. I had no idea what I was doing. I really didn't. I mean, I, I didn't even have a map or a compass or anything. I mean, I just, it was just, it was a car crash right from the start. <laughs> right. But, but that was the very first adventure. So it was like, just jump into the deep end. I never really cycled much before. I never really done any, any kind of challenges really. And then it, it started to snowball. So then, you know, once you sit on a bike for days and days and months, I, I just found this, I found this as a love. I was like, wow, like I've just got, I've got this love for movement. I've always had it. And, and now I had like this mission, you know, that just completely connected with me. It just, I just, I could feel it. Right. It was just like, Oh, I just, it just brought out power in me. So every day I felt motivated, the most motivated I've ever felt in my life. So, so that built up like this, momentum and I started to believe in myself for for the first time I you know 24 25 can't believe I finally started to go uh, you know I've, I, I should believe in who I am so then I, when I got back uh, I then just thought right I'm going to go for it so I then attempted a, a Guinness world record for sitting on a stationary bike and the the record was at 10 days and it was this Italian guy that had it. Like, you can't sit on a bike for 10 days nonstop. That's impossible. But you know what I started to think? Well, if an Italian can do it. So, so I just thought, right, Boris, so you know, a week later, I jump on this static bike in Gloucester and it's got to be a public place and I start going for it. I just, you know, and the rules are strict. Every hour you cycle, you can accumulate a five-minute break. So if you pedal for you know 24 hours then you get a two-hour break and of course you know toilet break and sleep or sleep is the most important part so i managed to get a one and a half hour sleep cycle every night and i made it to eight days but i, I always go to the eight day point because if we were back to the pain point like my, my can you do you know where the worst pain point would be matt on this no. It was the ass. Like, my ass, I, it was so painful. It was like, you know, if you have pain somewhere, you just cannot take your brain off the pain. It's just stuck to it. And I, I don't know if I can endure this for another two more days. Like I just, I don't know if I can do it. And, uh, and then they had a look and it started to get infected and it was bleeding. It was, and then, you know, at this point, I had a support team on the other trip. I was just a solo mission, but I had a good support team this time. Um, and, and they said, look, we need to sort it out. It's getting infected. You could get sick. So they get they got three NHS nurses 
in to sort the problem. And and these nurses came in, this one nurse came in and, and toked on my pants. I thought, what's she doing? And then she took a photo of my ass, right? And then she held the phone and she held the photo and I looked up to see this photo. I'm thinking, why would you do that to me? <laughs> and then she said, I'm so sorry, Joe. There's nothing I can do for, you know, your, your bum to heal. You know, I've chatted to the other nurses. It's the friction. So the only thing that's going to heal it is if you get off the bite. Honestly, it was a moment. Right? I thought... You know, when you start to go, am I going to get off? Am I, is this it? Am I going to get off or am I going to start to go? So I did. I started to push, right, harder, harder. And then the nurses came back and they said, look, Joe, I think we've got it. Manuka honey. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Right? It's just normal honey, but it's got an antibiotic in it. So the nurse, she slapped that on my ass and uh, and it managed to heal the infection within the space of eight hours. And then I actually pushed on for 12 days in the end to get the Guinness World Record. Why? I think just, you know, when you, you know, when you just kind of start uh, uh, th- this motion in wheels, right? And you, I didn't know, I didn't even know what I was doing. It just felt right. And I love the adventure, the challenge, all of it for, um, how it makes you feel connecting back to my childhood, having this um, altruistic motivation as well that you don't feel like you're just doing it all for yourself. You're right. It's, it's all connected, the whole thing. I, I, I don't think I could have done it without all the ingredients in place, just all of it, right? The right people, the mission, all of it, it just all came together. It was this magical one year that completely changed my life. And I, and I got off that bike and I thought, what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know, it was just, well, well, it was like, a, it was like a dream. Right? And, and then of course, everyone then comes up to you and they say, what's next? I think, what do you mean what's next? I'm just cycling around the world. I've just broke the world record. I need holiday. Um, and and then and then the the children's hospital in Gloucester about a month later they they invited me I, well on the holiday thing I actually went and got myself a Canadian visa I, I'm not sure I was thinking I just go and be a backpacker spend a few months and drink beer and you know just have some fun and um, and a month later the the children's hospital invited me back and they wanted to show me where all the donations went and the difference it had made and when I arrived. And and th- th- those two challenges raised twenty thousand pounds, and I always think it's almost like this coincidental sum because it was the same amount for the house that I didn't buy, and they they built a new school playroom uh, with the donations, and as I went to leave the hospital, there was these two kids um, holding a sign that said "Keep going, Jamie," and. Uh, that that for me was like the best gift that they could ever because it just it just went in it just went into my brain into my heart and and then yeah and then my visa for Canada came in and I, I still had money left over from the house that I didn't buy and I was sat on my mum and dad's toilet and I just thought oh, maybe as weird as this is maybe I need to keep going right it it feels right. <laughs> So I jumped off the toilet. I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to run across Canada. And my mum, she said, I don't think that's a good idea, Jamie. And then my dad, his vein was pulsating on the side of his head. He said, son, that's exactly what you should be doing. And uh, so we all put it into Google there and then. And we found this uh, guy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's called Terry Fox. No. Yeah, just put run across Canada into into Google and, and Terry Fox popped up. It was this guy that ran across the country in the 1980s with cancer in one leg. And unfortunately, he died at the halfway point. And yeah, his cancer returned. But today, he's raised over $900 million uh, for charity. It's it's the most insane story. If you put Terry Fox documentary into YouTube, just do it. It'll be one of the best things you'll ever watch in your life. It's like 10 minutes and it's just so inspiring. Um, so I saw that and it just, again, it was just like, God, this is it. I'm going. <laughs> so I, I had a year visa that already kicked in and everyone was coming up to me once once I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go across the country. I said, well, 
you better get training. You better do some running. And I was thinking, well, it's 5,000 miles. I don't think I really want to add to that. So, yeah, about a week later, I just flew straight out and just went for it and never really ran before. And, yeah, so then, yeah, and, and then things just kind of evolve. Right? You've done that, America, um, and then another world record, and then another world record after that. And, and that's the journey. It's just I, I'm, in, I'm in this, like, mission mode, and it just it feels right. I'm rolling with it. It's a bit weird, but... <laughs> There are, there, there are a couple of recurring themes, though, that fascinate me. And I think one's maybe simpler than the other. The first is you just seem to sort of say, well, I'll just do that, which is, I would argue, abnormal in a very kind way. You know, the idea, I mean, Canada's massive. And the idea that you just do that as your first ever proper run is, you know, bordering on lunacy. Um <laughs> isn't it i mean most people see if they can do a 5k um but you ran 5000 miles I'm not sharing then the nerve the, the nervousness of it right I, because there is a mentality i just go do it right because that's how it, that's what you're going to do if you're going to do something you just got to say i'm going to do that and then worry about worrying it later <laughs> whether you you're actually able to do it and I met this amazing guy in Canada that gave me a man massage. And he said, Jamie, I think I know. Not like that, man. I'm looking at Matt's face. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, no, 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 like a normal, you know, sports massage. And he, he said, I think I know why you can do what you can do, you know, and take on these big challenges. And I said, oh, you know, tell me, please, because I don't really know. You know. And he said, well... He said, you've got the planner and you've got the naive. And he said, the planner, they'll think about stage one, two, three, four. And when they get to stage 20, right, there's like an element of you, you can't plan past stage 20. And so the planner might get like a tendency to get a bit nervous and go, well, I don't know what that looks like. It just never start the journey in the first place. But the naive person, they don't, they kind of think of stage one they really don't think of stage two and they definitely don't think of stage 20. And so the naive one then just keeps kind of plodding on through and, and, and working it out as he goes. And, uh, but, but he starts, right? That's the key. He, he starts and that's the key thing. And, uh, and it's not to say, you know, you are the planner or you are a naive. I'm definitely naive, right? And over time, I've actually, what I've learned is to take a bit of pinch of not, uh, planning because it makes things a lot less stressful. And uh, But my wife, so Anna, she does these things. She actually makes me look like a wussy with some of the, her achievements. And I know she's been on this podcast. Um, so Anna McNuff, you can go back, I think. Can they go back, Matt, and listen oh, yeah. to her? Yeah. They can and should. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, so she she is a planner by nature, but she's very good at understanding the concept. Of, right, well, I can't plan then. I can't plan at 20. So so she's got a bit of, well, bugger it. She'll take a, a good handful some of, you know, naivety. And, and so, it, you know, it's just don't pin yourself in one thing, but just, you know, it's just a nice kind of place to start and working out where you are. But how... I mean, I'm not going to go into the detail of this because this is your story, but I tried to run a multi-day ultra and failed because my I got IT band syndrome in both knees. How 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 do you run 5,000 miles without your body breaking when you haven't trained for it? Or yeah, no, it, it? yeah, it, it does break. I think that's the thing. It breaks and then it rebuilds and it breaks and it rebuilds. Running is this um, like very very challenging space long endurance running is brutal on the body but the key thing that i i kept that was you know doing that adventure it was a confirmation that the more you run the stronger you become that is true like that is factual so when i say i went and ran 200 marathons most people would go right well on the 190th marathon you know, you must be absolutely exhausted. And you are. There's no such thing as an easy marathon. 
but the physical aspect of where you're at, you are stronger, you know, and then it's the emotion and the mind that that, that has to keep going. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. So I, I think you just, just keep running, Matt. I just, yeah, don't let that stop you because, you know, it's just a small hiccup when you just keep running and eventually that hiccup will move and go. You might get a few other hiccups, but, but eventually if you wanted to become a super strong runner where you wanted to run 100 miles or 200 miles, you could, you, you, you could. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think there's, this isn't my second thing, but I'll, I'll come back to that later. But I, somebody said to me a while ago, there are kind of two types of people in this world and one type are rarer. And the first is there are people who see barriers you know most people see barriers they do exist um and they see them and they stop and then there are people who just don't they refuse to accept them and see them and they just plow on anyway and say well I'll do that because I can because I want to because why not me and I think actually you can look at those people and you can analyze and assess and dissect their lives and work out why they're like that often I don't think they're born like that I think they're made and I'm not a psychiatrist I'm not <laughs> why you might be like that well if we link back to the therapy world i'm totally with you now that you're not born like it it's all the experiences and how you utilize those experiences that then you know catapult you into whatever you want to do so yeah i i'm you're totally made i think yeah genetically you can be an extra you know meter what you know taller or what but who cares you don't need that you know, for everything. So, so running five thousand miles across Canada. I'm assuming you did it to raise money. Yeah, yeah. And again, back to that kind of brain power of like, okay, well, I'm raising money for my local children's hospital, but now I, I want to start impacting the world. And so, what I started to do is is raise money for kids' hospitals en route through Canada. So I would run to the hospitals, meet kids, you know, and and try to give them hope as well, you know, because you just, in those hospitals, you have no idea of the families and what they're going through. And they're in search of hope. They want hope that their kid's going to be okay. And, and hopefully I can somewhat kind of share that with them. And uh, and then, yeah, so that that journey in the end raised over half a million dollars for kids hospitals across Canada and also also Britain um uh, yeah go on we'll go here first but what did you get out of it outside of the altruism and the fundraising did you enjoy it yeah yeah I enjoy I enjoyed it but you know you can't say you enjoy running 200 marathons it's kind of like the I love the pain, you know, I love the pain and I love the, I love the goodness of it of, you know, while I ran, you know, I remember I was probably a few weeks in and I started to feel quite lonely and I wasn't very in tune with myself. (laughs) I didn't even know I felt lonely, but it was just an urge that I had. And I saw this house in the distance. So I went up and knocked on the door and I said, hi, I'm running across Canada. Is there any chance I can camp on your lawn? In my brain, I was just thinking, please let me in. And this woman, she said, no, you can't. Like, off you go, will you? I said, oh, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't want to disturb you. And as I started to walk away, she said, well, who are you anyway? And I said, well, my name's Jamie McDonald, and I'm running and stuff. And she said, right, well, wait there, will you, boy? And then she went off, and she came back five minutes later, and she said, right. Now, I've just Googled you and you're real. 
<laughs> so she let me set up my tent. And then she came back out five minutes later and she said, stop setting up your tent. There's a motel and a key waiting for you and it's all paid for. And then she invited me in. And we sat there and we drank tea and biscuits all evening. I met her family. And I just, just for my soul, I mean, I was just, oh, phew, you know, and, and I'd been on my own. So then you, you know, you as challenging as those few weeks were, you then get this experience that you are so grateful for, for just having a cup of tea and biscuits, because right? you've been through the mill. But you only get that appreciation for that experience is because of the challenging thing before it. So, so, um, so yes, that was amazing. And at the end of the at the end of the night, she said, "Jim, I'm going to support you for the rest of the journey." And she did. She started to then tell people ahead and say, "Look, you know, my uncle John lives in so and so. You know, you can stay with him." And you know, and it's such a small communities in in Canada. They they all know each other. So it. it you know, I got so much support that way and, and, and experiences with people. But that tea and biscuits comment is so important and I agree with it completely. And I think it's one of the hardest things to try and explain to those who haven't yet put themselves in the situation where they're experiencing such profound hardship that then the simplest things become the best and biggest things. Um, I don't know. I, it, it's almost impossible to try and explain. I mean, I, I say these days, and it sounds like a little kind of cliche line, but I only go away so that I can come home. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like changed. It. It's, only, it's really changed, and but I absolutely mean it. Um, and that feeling of just sitting out there in my little garden, watching the birds and having a coffee is yeah. like some of the happiest moments of my entire life. Yeah. It's not necessarily the mountains. Yeah. yeah. It's abstract. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't just want to play the what next game with this, but how long ago was the 5,000-mile run? That that finished in 2014. Okay. So we've got 10 more years to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll be here for a few more, de- a few more days. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it... It then, I think after the Canada run, I did take some time out then. So I, I kind of thought, right, I needed to regroup and work out what, what was actually, what just happened. Because I think of those adventures as one, weirdly. They were, because I just, I didn't take a breath. And and so then I took some time out. Uh, I was broke. <laughs> I had literally no money. And, and, you know, schools were asking me to give talks and, and I, I was so broke, I didn't even get, I didn't have bus fare to to get to the school. And I said, look, I'm really sorry, I can't go. And, and all these talks are for fundraising. And, uh, and I said, Dad, I said, what should I do? Should I just go back tennis teaching, which is what I was doing before, because I'm, I'm out. And he said, son, it looks to me like you found what you love. Just keep doing it and it will all work out. And I remember feeling like he's absolutely right, right? Whatever I've just done, it, it, I've got to keep doing it. So I left there, but then I thought, shit, Dad, I've still got no money. And and then this email popped in a week later, and it came from a big business uh, from Nigel Perver from Capita in Cheltenham, just down the road from me. And uh, he said, look, I've heard you've been giving talks around Gloucester. Do you want to do a talk for the business? Why don't we meet up for a coffee? So I said, great. So I meet up for a cup of coffee with him and, we chatted out and he, he then says, uh, right, so great, you know, how much do you charge? And I said, no, no, I just give a donation to the charity, you know, you don't need to pay me. And he said, no, no, we pay our speakers. So I'm thinking, I think this is a moment. Right? <laughs> so I said, right, okay, leave this with me. So I went home and I Googled it, right, speaker, you know, and it started popping up with this motivational speaking. I thought, bloody hell, this is a real thing. So I looked at the speaker fees and I gave him, I gave him a, a fee, which was literally like a month's salary. And you know when you're hitting the email, right? When you're you're hitting an email, and then you like start squirming because you're like, oh no, did I just actually ask for that? So I hit the email, and of course he come back and just said, done, fine. And I thought, great, I'm finally getting like some money. I'm not going to be broke. 
And then, then it just dawned on me. I thought, hang on a minute. Now I'm being paid, right? And now I've got to speak. So I need to give more value. So I start melting down. I'm in like proper panic mode. I think, should I wear a suit? Should I wear a tie? The, the, the event is in like a month's time. And in the end, I get right to the day of the event. And I think, I've just got to turn up as me. So I turned up in a pair of shorts and flip-flops. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I just went bleh. And, uh, and then at the end of the thing, Nigel came up to me and he said, he said, right, amazing. He said, we're going to fly into Ireland and Scotland around the other offices to do exactly this. I said, right, great. So, so then I went on this whole other adventure then to, to turn, I guess, basically turn what I'd done into actually something that I could then sustain and and it could it could be like that for the rest of my life. And Nigel now is actually a trustee of my charity uh, to this day and is a lovely guy, you know. Um, yeah, it's amazing how it just all works out. You were right, it was a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to, I had to also you know for the first time in in a in a few years go okay i need to now go yes please right i'll I'll take this for myself because those years was was giving not to say i didn't get anything out of it It was the most incredible experience and it's created a a a pathway of, of a lot of happy experiences so um but i gave a lot i literally i blew 20 grand you know everything i had i went all in I I could have I could have fell flat on my face and you know so so yeah so I I went all in I, I didn't know where it was going but you know it it's got a way of working itself out. I'd imagine that was quite a transition because I wonder and like just tell me if I'm wrong about this but did you feel guilty because you know I'd assume before everything was like raise money for the kids raise money for the kids and suddenly you're like raise money for me and the kids. Yeah. That must have been tricky. I mean, it makes total logical sense to me, yeah. but it must have been tricky. Yeah, no, it was really hard. It was really hard. And, and I think, you know, just asking to to be looked after and go, I need to do this for me was a very hard moment. It's not anymore now I've got kids. It's like suddenly it's like, yeah, I will happily take your paycheck for doing this job. But at that time, I did find it really difficult. And, and you know, and then I... I, I made sure it was really clean cut as well. So I, I created a speaking business so that was separate. Then I decided to set up my own charity and foundation that I volunteer my time with and just keep it really separate. So it feel it feels right. You know, when I'm asking for a, a paycheck, it's like, yeah, you give this here and then you're going to give this over here. And, you know, and now I get to actually meet kids uh, with having a charity and get that fulfilling, rewarding feeling more of. You know, because the fundraising world and the adventure world, when you're raising money for a charity, you can raise a hell of a lot of money. And, you know, but it sometimes feels like you're just shifting money. And not that it's not going to anywhere good, but if you're not really seeing it, then it's quite hard to get, a, a you know, that kind of motivation or I want to do this again. Um, so, so yeah, so setting, setting up my own charity was the, the natural step, really. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it sounds like the, the fundraising you've done has all been for children who are unwell, have illnesses in hospital, et cetera. Has your attitude to it changed since you had kids in any way? Yeah, it has actually. I've given less time to the charity, which I feel a bit guilty about. Um, but having a two and a half year old and twins at six months and you're just not sleeping and you're just in a mess. <laughs> I can barely wipe my own bum, um, let alone then try and, you, you, you know, help the world. So, so yeah, it's totally flipped its, you know, self on its head. And, um, but I, I, I also understand it's just a phase. And once the kids get a bit older, they start sleeping more, they go off to school, then I'm like, we're back, you know, we're back in action and you get all this time and then I can start giving giving more again. Uh, but right now, I guess my giving is is to the kids. So, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I just, I wondered if in any way you find it 
harder like going into the hospitals or anything i mean again just anecdotally from my side i struggle with everything more everything matters more and more emotional since i had kids and i think given how closely the two things are linked has it affected you or not uh it has it has i I constantly worry um whether whether there are anything you know there are any conditions going to be popping up in my kids and that's probably through my life story, and then that's obviously meeting and working with other kids. So I'm always worried. I, I'm, I'm even not satisfied now at the six month mark that my twins, you know, are are there and and fully developed. I'm like, mm, is, is there something here, or is that leg moving okay? If they've got cerebral palsy, I just I and I, and I know it's my own baggage, and you know, and then I look, I've got my mum and Anna, and I'm like, God, what are you talking about? They're fine, just like, and I'm like, okay, sorry. Um, so yeah, so uh, again, hopefully over time that that will kind of fade, but just yeah, I kind of worry about their health. I yeah. don't know. Do you? Or maybe you do though. Maybe that's just a parent thing. I don't know. Oh my God, yeah. Like with everything, I mean yeah, everything. <laughs> right okay i'm not my wife my wife might hear this because she does listen to a fair bit of them but she's significantly worse than me (laughs) um i have to try and be the level one but i still i don't know this is off topic but like everything matters more i don't know just like the value of life like watching tv programs or movies i can't cope in the way that i used to i cry at moana um i'm not joking (laughs) It just well, it all feels bigger. Yeah, I mean, even adverts now can can destroy me. I'm I'm not a blubbering mess. So yeah, yeah, no, totally with you. Do you? Well, have you been away much since they've been born, and do you struggle with it? Uh, so my my last adventure was away from the kids, um, but but I was always going to take it on because it was a shorter one. And I'll do anything from a break from the kids. <laughs> um, no, so um, there was a company called uh, Travelport. It's a global technology company that I gave a talk for many years ago uh, in Dubai. And uh, and the talk went, you know, I, I didn't think it went that well, but it, it kind of, I don't know, they said it went really well. And so then as as time passed on, they, they then uh, kind of challenged me to, uh, break attempting to set a new world record for visiting the seven wonders of the world uh, in the fastest time, and and I remember they, they said that you are the worst adventurer we've ever come across, so we think you're perfect for it. I thought right, so I was pinching myself. I thought okay, let's give this a crack, and so we we went to do it, and then and then of course the pandemic hit. And it was all go, 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 hit. And then we're like, that's fine. We're doing it a few months' time or whatever. And then, of course, years later, and we're like, is this ever going to take place? You know, is it ever? Because we put we put it in, I think, probably about four or five times, you know, packing my bags ready to go. And and, and the plug got pulled on it. Uh, so it was one hell of a challenge. And they've they just basically wanted to put their new uh, piece of technology to the test, uh, whether it could whether it could do the challenge because I'm the naive one like like planning is my worst nightmare and this was 47 pieces of the puzzle of transport that needed to go right buses trains taxis you name it even a toboggan was in there (laughs) and yeah so that that was the challenge Uh, but they 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 gave me a travel agent they had the software the technology uh, travel port plus and then and then i went for it so that was that was a week away and then how long ago was that that was a few months back now probably three months ago or something and i'm guessing by the fact you're talking about it and whether you are that you did manage to do it Uh, so it, I, I was always unsure whether I was uh, able to do it, and this this adventure was like so different to any of the others because suddenly it needed all these pieces of like planning in place. I couldn't just gun ho it, and and I thought, can can that many forms of transport go right? Because I've I've had so many planes cancel everything. And so it just all needed to fall in place. And I managed to 
get to China uh, and, you know, kind of get to the Great War. And that all went well. Then I got to India and it just turned, it just turned so challenging in India because the, the traffic was, you know, mayhem trying to get to the Taj Mahal. Got to the Taj Mahal. I actually cried, by the way, Matt, at the Taj Mahal on that one. I'm not joking. I, you know when you say you're just so much more vulnerable since kids? <laughs> so I cried at a, at a building. Um, and and then we, I kind of ran back and jumped into the taxi. And the taxi driver looked at me and he said, you haven't visited the, the Taj Mahal yet. Why are you back? And I said, no, it's done. I've seen it. He's like, oh my, that's the fastest time I've ever dropped someone off at the Taj Mahal before um, to come back. And then we had to, we had to then go back and, and drive back. And I, I then uh, landed in at the train station, was absolutely certain that I missed the train. And it just so happened that the train then came in. Uh, the train was late, 15 minutes late, and it just fell into my favour. Um, otherwise, you know, when something like that happens, I knew it's like a domino effect. It's like if that goes wrong, then you're, the entire time you're playing catch up. And and then, you know, if we didn't make it before the seven days, it was over. So, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a serious challenge. Uh, but I am glad to say we made it. Got the Guinness World Record. Uh, <laughs> Uh, loved it. it was really sleep deprived challenge I, I slept only 12 hours or something in seven days uh, and just was like a dribbling wreck on economy you know sitting out you know like the nodding dog where you're just dribbling and you were taking i was just trying to take sleep wherever i could um but but yeah one hell of an adventure like it was it was incredible and how long did you say it took seven day well to be exact, I think it was six days, 17 hours and 33 minutes or something. I've probably got that wrong. That is mad that you can do that. Yeah, yeah. And the cost, right, the, the cost actually is quite reasonable when you think you're going 22,000 miles around the world. I think it was it, the cost to do it is probably under five grand which I know is a lot of money, but when you think what you're actually doing, uh, uh, there's no hotel costs in there. <laughs> you're eating plain food. So you really are just, you know, going for it. Uh, and it was the weirdest dream. It was even now I look back on it a few months later, I think, did that actually happen? It was like seeing so many incredible wonders and so many magnificent places but but in such a short space of time it's like my brain couldn't absorb it all so it just turned into this dream it's a it's interesting because it's totally different from what you know there's actually very limited movement in terms of your body i mean your body is being moved but not by you it must have been a really yeah. different experience yeah it, it is weirdly I, I don't know if you get this but i feel very content even even sitting and moving. So if I'm on a train or a plane, there's something about it where I just feel so relaxed, especially when you're in an aeroplane. It's like guilty-free that stick a movie on. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I love any forms of transport or any kind of travel. Yeah, well, I do find that increasingly since I've become a parent, but I think it's because I haven't got any signal and I haven't got any children. <laughs> just so do, happy for the piece yeah just do sudoku nothing else <laughs> um well i mean as you point out there's days of potential conversation here in terms of all the stuff you've done but the second thing i was going to mention a long time ago and it's relevant to parenting but you you mentioned that your parents separated and that you found that difficult later on but you know, there's, there's, there's two little moments that really stayed with me. One was your mum going outside and rigging up the string and saying, do not listen to them, come on. And the second was your dad with the pulsing vein saying, that's exactly what you need to do. It sounds like you've had these incredibly powerful, pivotal role models in your life. Is that the case? Yeah, I, I think that is the case. But that also comes with their backgrounds as well so my mum's from a very big family i think eight in total so 
you know, I think her needs is, it, you know, it's very hard to get all your needs fulfilled when there's eight kids. So survival, you know, is at the forefront. So my mum, and she knows, you know, I tell her all the time, mum, you are so ADHD, it's untrue. She's like this pocket rocket, just, you know, she doesn't listen to a single thing I say. And I remember kind of, you know, if I would ever walk into town with her to do some shopping or something as a kid, I'd literally have to run behind her to keep up with her. Um, so, yeah, so she's been a, like a force of nature. So so it comes with, you know, a, an amazing quality that she's she's made me feel, you know, secure and made me kind of feel like I can do anything. And, you know, and then my dad... On the other hand, he's been very good at just that ultimate belief. If I ever say, you know, I'm thinking of this dad, he's like my ultimate cheerleader, you know, for anything. And he he seemed to know that the moment I went on that bike journey, he already could see my life panning out as it was. You know, and I, I couldn't see it at all. But he always said, he was like, he kept saying, you've got to keep doing this. This is really special. You just got, you know, and so he just kept telling me, you know, just reaffirming because, you know, when you start, when you, when you take a pathway that no one is going, right, let's be honest, it is a scary place. I mean, when I, when I quit my job as a, a tennis coach, my best mate practically, you know, didn't want anything to do with me because I didn't want to work with it anymore. And I wanted to jump on a bike. It was so abstract from him that he just thought I was being a complete dickhead. Right, which in a way I kind of see it, you know, I'm like, well, yeah, you know, why would you do that? Um, but now, you know, we've connected again and, and we're back to being best friends and he's one of my greatest supporters. But but that first couple of years of, you know, paving out a complete pathway that no one's trodden uh, is a very challenging space. So I'm really glad that my dad was there to keep going. You just keep doing it, just keep doing it. I am fascinated by that mindset of, I had 20 grand in the bank and I decided not to buy the house because again that's rare and I think it's I'm sure lots of people think it like oh is this it now I don't know if I don't know if I've ever asked anyone this but like is there a secret source or is that just that was just in you well I think everyone's got their own secret haven't they really I've been able to tap into my secret and I, I think where I find that the, the the challenge now is you know, especially through speaking, right? When I get up on stage, it's great to share a story and get those happy tears and, you know, and, and this amazing experience. You feel like you've impacted them, but it's like, actually, what's the action from that? And, you know, and they'll come up going, well, what is it though? And, and come up and go, what is that secret source, right? What is it? And it's like, well, my secret source isn't going to work for you. So you got, you know, you've got to find your own secret source. And the only way you do that is you get out there and you start going for it, right? That's it. That is the secret source. If you start it, then you've got chance to find your own. Yeah, I think it is that simple in lots of ways. It's just, I, don't know, I mean, armchair philosophy warning, but I think it's just passion focused. I think so many people... I think this is true of my, like people around me, people know what theirs is. They're just totally in denial of it because it's really scary because it will require them to make some pretty big changes. Um, I think it takes a lot of bravery to decide not to buy the house and to just do this and then to do that. It's a lot easier to just go, oh, I'll just buy the house. I'll work it out later. Yeah. Yeah, no, and changing as well. You know, you've got to work on it because it, it's scary every time you make a big change. And my friend calls it like a quantum leap, you know, where you're like, go, oh, here we go again. Right. And, you know, those leaps are, are, are in the end of kind of what, you know, give you the chance to do whatever it is that you're pursuing. Yeah, I get that it's all relative, but they're so exciting too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, so so what we're doing is we're turning those uh, experiences into an exciting. We know from experience that they are exciting. 
you know, and and so once you start flipping that kind of fear into, well, hang on a minute, you know, this fear could be exciting, and that's when the kind of mindset starts to change. Yeah. There's so much to talk about there, but we are close to time. So as much as I'd love to do some more armchair philosophy and hear about some more stories, I'll um, start to draw it to a close. And I always ask everyone the same two questions at the end of every episode. And the first is, what scares you? Good question. Uh, what scares me is just just living an an ordinary life i think yeah that's what scares me i don't think you need to be too worried about it right now (laughs) (laughs) well i am actually living a very ordinary life with twins and think because you know you have to um but i'm gonna wait until they tip this age where i go okay they're ready for some quantum leaps and they can join us for adventures (laughs) and then finally what brings you hope uh people i think i've been just so you know lucky to have incredible people enter my life and they really entered my life uh, once i started to back to what you were saying is finding your passion it was like i started to put out you know push out this energy and the right people entered it a few didn't um which you know you get rid of and uh, one of them is my uh, one of them is my wife now, Anna, and we've got kids. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think that gives me hope. It's just people, really. I think people are incredible. Thank you very much. I've loved this conversation. We'll call it there. Loved it, Matt. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for listening. For more information, head to theadventurepodcast.co.uk. If you want to get in touch, then you can email me at matt at terraincognita.studio. And finally, as always, please do leave us an honest review on iTunes.